Well, good morning, Christ Chapel, West Campus, and good morning to uh, all the beloved out in uh, Converge back in, in Fort Worth. Uh, let me be the very first, hopefully the very first, to say Merry Christmas to the Christ Chapel family and all guests. Like Lita said, if you're a guest, we're glad to have you here. And Converge, we're glad to have you if you're a guest. Uh, actually, stores started talking about Christmas way back in July. But for Christ Chapel, it begins the first Sunday of uh, the month of December. Every year for the last 36 years, the church formed in 19, 1980. So the very first weekend is always the, sort of the threshold, we call it, to the Christmas season, the Christmas holiday. And I love Christmas, and I want to say Merry Christmas to you. And let's, let's get started on this whole idea of celebrating the incarnation. Uh, my name is Ted Kitchens. I've been a part of this church for since the beginning, uh, 36 years, and it's been marvelous to see God's good work, especially at this time of the year. Now, everybody loves Christmas. Everybody loves it except, of course, Scrooge. And I know as a, uh, as a couple, if you're married and you have children or just, just as an individual, you know it's time to be thinking about gifts, right? Christmas gifts are super important. And so, uh, we always ask ourselves, in fact, we've already had this conversation in my home, what do you want for Christmas? And it's pretty hard. The older you get, the more you think, God, I have everything I need. I don't really need that electric toothbrush. I don't really need that. I don't need this or that. And so we, we start asking our children, what do you want for Christmas? What would you like to have for Christmas? That should be how I should state that. And uh, it, it's interesting. Children will tell you all kinds of things. So I started thinking the other day about, okay, what children might want for Christmas? And I began to look through some children's magazines for Christmas gifts for children. Let me give you a couple of Christmas gifts for children you don't want to give them, all right? Like, for instance, don't give them this gift right here. This, this actually, in fact, let me read to you what it says. This is actually a spell-casting teddy bear. Seriously, when you pull the button on it, uh, the, the wand spins, its mouth moves, and it casts a spell on you. It tells you something. And parents, you don't want to get your children that, even if they want it, because you don't want them casting a spell on you. You want them uh, casting a spell on the broccoli so it disappears off the plate. You don't want them to start casting spells on your neighbors or your neighbor's dog or anything like that. I, I thought that was a totally ridiculous one. So no matter what they want, don't give that one to them. Here's one that I think no matter what happens, do not get this for your children. Look at this one. This is actually a lazy liquor spinning ice cream cone. <laughs> a lazy liquor. I mean, how, how lazy are your children? I mean, they don't want to do this. They want to do... Uh, uh, uh. It also turns 25 times a minute. So it's slinging ice cream on their face. Seriously, people buy that gift. Things have changed so much since when I was a, a child. This is honestly true. I mean, I know you've heard stories throughout your life from older folks who say, well, when I was a kid, I used to walk five miles to the snow to get to, I rode the, rode the mule first five miles, and I walked the next five miles to get to school. But it, when I was really a young child, they didn't have lazy liquor ice cream cones. Uh, one of my favorite gifts, seriously, was a box. Just a box. Because my creative stuff could kick in. It could be a train. It could be a, a backhoe. It could be a truck. It could be a bus. I could just sit in the box. I could cut holes in the box. And I was thinking this morning, and just kind of preparing to come and chat with you uh, this morning, about a time at Christmas time when our family lived in Arlington. I was maybe first grade, maybe just before first grade, so six or seven. And we got some big boxes for Christmas. I can't remember what was in them, but I remember it was after Christmas, a couple days after Christmas, and the box was in the backyard. 
And so myself and my siblings, I started playing with a box. I mean, that's how simple-minded I am. I'm having a great time with just a box. Well, it started to rain. And uh, so I said to my two siblings at the time, my youngest wasn't born yet, I said, you guys come get in this box and we'll just wait out the rain in the backyard. Well, it's raining and it keeps raining. And three little children in a pretty good-sized box in the middle of the backyard, not even thinking about mommy who's in the house looking for her three little children. And we're out in the backyard just giggling and having a great time as this box slowly got wet and collapsed on us. And then we all ran in the house and got thoroughly thrashed because my mom was calling the police and the game warden and everything else looking for, for their children. Children want all kinds of gifts. And you can see between the, the really the interesting 21st century gifts and the gifts that you know, I was used to playing with, just really basic blocks and a can and a, and a box. What children want and is different than what they really need. And that's kind of what I want to talk to you about this morning. If you'll take out your sermon notes, I want to discuss with you just for a, morning, just for a moment what every child needs this Christmas. And let me be honest with you, after all these years of gospel ministry, you'll probably never hear anything more significant than what I'm going to tell you this morning. They need a healthy family. Above everything else, they need a healthy family. Your children need you to come home for Christmas. Folks, marriages are suffering in our country. It has been said that there's many divorces in the church as there are in the community, in the standard community in our country. That actually is not true. What is true is a lot of couples who are Christians, when their marriages get in trouble, they come to the church for help. And if it dissolves, then the church gets blamed for that. So the stats look like that's about, that they're about the same, but they're actually not the same. In an active couple who's active in a church, the divorce rate's 22, 21% in the country, whereas it's 51 and now 52% in the nation for non-church, non non-Christian people. A healthy marriage is a critical gift for you to give your children. Breakup, breakups in uh, the church today, in the community, cause a, a disunity in the church. They cause this insanity for the leaders. You know how many hours we spend every week in council uh, wanting to keep marriages together and make them healthy again, which, by the way, impacts every child who's he or she is totally intuitive about what's going on inside the house. As parents, we forget that. As grandparents, we forget they pick up on everything. Their sensory perception is so acute. They pick up on all of that. The destructive forces in marriage today are, are myriads. By the way, the number one reason for divorce today is what? Money. Money is the number one reason for divorce today. It's at Christmas time that the church should stop and challenge its body to have stronger Christ-honoring messages. And that's exactly what I want to do with you this morning. Your children need your marriage to be a miracle on your street, wherever that is. Now, if you're a, a young adult and you're not married, you're thinking, this is not for me. There are going to be a few nuggets in what I'm going to say in a few moments that will change your, the direction of your life. If you're remarried, you've been through a trauma and a divorce and you're remarried, there are some nuggets in this for you as well, of course. If you happen to be a, a young person, I mean, a, a couple who's already empty nesters, your grands or whatever, this, there's some things I want to say to you this morning I think you'll glean from a great deal. If you're a couple and you have no children yet, please take notes. Please take notes. I'm going to share with you after all these years five things in my humble opinion 
biblical things that are critical that your children don't want this Christmas necessarily. They desperately need this Christmas. Take out your notes, please. Take out your notes and converge. Take out a Bible as well. There's some nuggets here for everyone. Let's look at our marriages as gifts to our children rather than thinking about getting them lazy liquor, ice cream cones, and those kind of things. Let's start at home. Come home this Christmas. Let's think about our households and our homes. So, five gifts your children really need this Christmas. First, give your children the security of knowing that the back door of your home is locked tight. Now, use the term home there. Of course, the back door of your marriage is a metaphor for marriage. Most of us left home this morning, and we actually locked the back door of our house. Why? Because we're very concerned about security. Folks coming and going in our home, that's not copacetic. We don't like that, do we? You don't want to go home this, evening, this afternoon or this morning after church, and there's folks been in your home, and you don't know. Absolutely not. And yet, we don't think about securing our marriages the same way. We don't really think in terms of what makes my marriage secure, a place that's really healthy, as I said earlier, our children are so sensitive to anything that's shaky. And they really understand when a marriage is on shaky ground. Many marriages start out on tentative ground. Um, and here's what I mean by that. If this thing doesn't work out, I can go out the back door. If this thing doesn't work out, I can go out the back door. Stats show that almost 60% of the folks who get married in the USA today have that mentality. If it doesn't work, we can go out the back door. In Malachi chapter 2, in fact, we're going to put that passage up on the screen here. Malachi says he's a prophet. He's speaking to the people of Israel about their marriages. Because in that ancient day, men were marrying women and they left the back door wide open. They were actually writing writs of divorce saying, yeah, you burned the toast, the relationship's over, you didn't change the baby's diaper quick enough, I'm out of this marriage. And in Malachi, God hates that and actually says this, so guard yourselves and your spirits and do not be faithless. What he means by being faithless there in that context is don't have the attitude that this is a contract. It's not a contract. It's a lifelong covenant. And your children sense it instantly. If you've got one, you've got three, you've got six, it doesn't matter. They all pick up on that inside the house. They're so intuitive. Statistically, there's some of you in this room this morning, I hope it's not true, or some of you there in Converge, you're already considering the back door. You left it open, and you're moving that direction. Our staff deals with this every week. I dealt with two of the situations just this last week. Guard your attitude and your vocabulary. Get the concept out of your mind that the word divorce fits anywhere in your vocabulary, in your life. Lynn and I have been married 40 years in August. Never once have we said the word divorce. Never once have we used it in jest or seriously. Now, we've used the word murder. We've used the word, <laughs> seriously, make it look like it was accidental, but it's really not. You know, I've, I've gone to bed a couple of nights and seen some live wires come in the bed and plugged into the wall. Hey, what is that for, honey? What are you? What? So it's just a part of the attitude of, in our spirit. The back door of our home is totally closed, and our children knew it from the time they were born till this day. Daniel, the prophet Daniel. You remember the book of Daniel, if you've read the Old Testament. He's the guy who was in the lion's den. 
Well, he decided early on he was never going to eat the food that the king provided. He was going to trust God that he would be healthy and grow by just eating vegetables, not the king's food. And the way he puts it is he purposed in his heart not to eat the king's food. And that's what Christians, couples, young adults who are not married yet, young couples who don't have children yet, those of you who happen to be empty nesters and grandparents, just listen carefully to me. The back door of your marriage, present or future, desperately needs to be locked and double locked. And it's all about your attitude. The Indians have this interesting way. Actually, the Texas Indians had this interesting way of talking about marriage. That it's like two rivers coming together and they just mingle. And you cannot separate them. That's a gift to give your children. A gift of security. That's why I say give the gift of security to your children. Give it to them. Martin Luther once wrote this. If you remember the famous reformer Martin Luther, he said, There is no more lovely, friendly, and charming relationship, communion, or company than a good marriage. What do your children really need this Christmas? You in love with each other, in love with Jesus, with a, the back door locked. Second gift you need to give your children. Very important one. The joy. It's a gift of joy. Of being raised by parents who know each other's needs and love language. You know each other's needs and you know their love language. I want to give you a passage in in Ephesians chapter 5. It's going to come up on the screen here. Look at this. Now this is Paul speaking in Ephesians 5 on the subject of marriage. And he says this. Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. However, let each one of you love his wife as he himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, I point this out to you, not just about the the love and the respect issues, but that God wants us to understand each other's needs and to meet those needs. That's what he's saying here. It's very important to God that we do that. By the way, men, don't look over at her. What's the color of your wife's eyes? Do you know? I see men looking, oh, well, gee, that's not your wife. It's the other side of, (laughs) you're looking at the wrong side, men. Just the ability to communicate is really important. There's two things I really think is is critical. These were life-changing insights for me in our marriage. Number one is we all have certain needs. There's a fantastic book out by Willard Harley. I've given you all these books on the back of your sermon notes. Willard Harley's book's called His Needs, Her Needs. There are five needs of the wife and five needs of the husband. Now, I don't want to be a pop psychologist, and these aren't just biblical things. They come from years of counseling. He's a Christian counselor, but the book's actually a secular book. And he says there are five things, five needs that the wife has and five needs that the husband has. By the way, he says this in his book. If a man wants to improve his life, he must shift his attention to concentrate on his wife and her needs. Men, I've always believed this. If the well in your life is poisoned, you poisoned it. If two people are in a room being counseled because their marriage is kind of on a schism, and Jesus were the counselor, that'd be a bummer first, if Jesus walks in the room to counsel you. That would be frightening, wouldn't it? You know, he, 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 would, he would say, I want one of you to stay in the room, and I'm going to send the other one out. I'm going to begin this counseling session with one of you. Which one would it be? Always and without exception, you, men, You're the umbrella 
of the relationship. You're the protector of the relationship. You're the one who has been given God's responsibility to, to take care of this relationship. You need to know your wife's needs. You need to know her needs. By, by the way, here they are, just so in case you men didn't know your wife's five needs in priority. First, affection. Second, conversation. Third, honesty. You can get the book, and, and, and I don't get any rights off selling the book, so, but this, this will help you. Honesty. Openness is the fourth one, and finally, financial support. So let me repeat those. Affection. She needs to have affection from you. Conversation. Just sit down and converse with her. Honesty, openness, and then financial support. Astronaut Michael Collins I read this years ago. He said he discovered in his studies, he's a brilliant guy, that women speak, men speak about 20,000 words a day. You may have heard this before, and it's actually true. Um, speak about 20, 22,000 words a day. Uh, men do. Women, 35,000 words a day, and it gusts up to 50,000 words a day. <laughs> Can you imagine that? So, men, you get home from work, and you just said it all. What do you want to do? Just sit and stare. What does she want to do? She wants to talk with you. She wants to communicate. She wants, to under, she wants that connection with you. That's one of, one of her needs. I got to tell you, this is so, a funny story. When Lynn and I had been married about a year, I came home one afternoon, and the trash, and in those days they didn't have plastic trash bags, they were, they were just paper bags, was by the back door. There's the trash. The next afternoon I come home, and the, it's still by the back door. And the next day I come home and it's still by the back door. And finally she looked at me and said, what about the trash? And I looked at her and I shouldn't have said this, but I said, so what's wrong with your arms? I mean, I, I, and she said, my father always took out the trash. That's your job. I had no idea that her father always took out the trash and it was my job. There was this communication between us, and I realized right then, the way my wife was raised impacts me, and men, the way you were raised impacts your wife, and understand, just that communication, understanding those needs. By the way, what are the men's, man's needs? Well, physical intimacy. You know, every married relationship, you know this, it's the physical intimacy is the highest priority for a male. Why God made us that way, men, I don't know. One of these days I'm going to ask him, because I think it's creepy. Recreational companionship, attractive spouse, domestic support, respect and admiration, just like the Word of God says here. So her needs and his needs, you're communicating enough to meet those needs. God wants us to know the needs of our spouse and meet those. And when we do, there's a sense of harmony in the home that our children pick up upon. Uh, it's a gift far better than any, anything you can purchase for them. By the way, love language. Man, you probably did not know this. I was married 22 years before I realized it. I can tell my wife, I love her, I love you, I love you. But there is a demonstration that she actually viscerally feels I love her in her life. In other words, there's a way that I communicate more than words to my wife. In Gary Chapman's book, The Five Love Languages, highly recommended to every Christian. He's a believer and was a pastor for years. Again, a little pop psychology, but really good stuff. He said there are five ways we express love to our spouse. More than verbally, and let me give them to you very quickly. He says this, meaningful touch, reaching out and touching them. By the way, this works for your children as well. Very important to know that. Meaningful touch, giving of gifts, 
words of appreciation, acts of service, and focused attention. Repeat those. Meaningful touch, touching them. Giving of gifts, a gift. Here's a gift. Here's a watch. Here's a, a football. Here's a what? Words of appreciation. Acts of service and focused attention. I mean, you and you two only. Those, you could tell me, Pastor, good sermon all day long. And you know what? I'd really appreciate it. I really do. It means a lot to me to know, you know, that I didn't totally waste your time. But if you really want me to hear, I love you, I love you, I love you, Pastor. Gifts of service. A couple of years ago, I had a horrible day. And a friend came into the church, and he said, Pastor, <laughs> how's your day going? I said, it's horrible. Meeting after meeting after meeting, difficult. I'm working till 9 o'clock tonight in board meetings. I won't get finished till 9.30. It was a nasty, cold day like today. And he said, do you know you got a flat? <laughs> I've got a flat where? On your car. Your car, Pastor. Back left-hand side, it's got a flat. Oh, gee. So I'm imagining... It's 9.30 at night. I'm out there laying on my coat on the ground, jacking up my car, taking the tire off. And I said, thanks for telling me. And I went on about the meeting, 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 meeting. 9.30, and I finish. I go out to my car, and guess what? The tire is repaired. He had gotten the keys off my desk through my secretary, taken the tire off himself, gotten it fixed, and brought it back. And I heard a huge, loud, I love you. Every one of us hears that differently. My wife, it's words of appreciation. I mean, it could be she opened a can of beans and warmed it up, and I said, honey, best beans I've ever tasted. <laughs> really? Why? Well, because they were spicy, and they really had just the right amount of salt. Oh, fantastic. Tell me more. <laughs> she, she just, she's an excellent painter. She's actually an excellent cook. She's an excellent painter. When I say, honey, that's a fabulous piece of work. Yeah, what did you like about it? Well, I like the distinctiveness of the face there on that child. And I love the way the ocean's right there. Oh, yeah, what about, the, did you see the seagulls? Well, and then I'd be, well, I did, those are gorgeous. And, it, and she hears me say, I love you. Okay? Give me some, I'm going to give you some advice. Know each other's needs and understand each other's love language. It will change your marriage. And you know what? It will bless your children or your grandchildren beyond what you could possibly expect. Number three, quickly, quickly. Their, your children need the encouragement of watching their parents determined to grow as individuals. To grow as individuals. Often we get married and we stop growing as individuals. Yes, the two become one flesh. That's true biblically. But you're still independently a gifted individual who needs to be growing in that giftedness. Romans chapter 12 and verse 3 says this, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. What is Paul saying there? Self-evaluation is a high priority for every adult. Whether you're married or not, self-evaluation, highest priority. Where do I need to improve? One pastor asked, asked it like this, and I love this. He says, are you happy with how you are Improving and where you are with your progression. Are you becoming what you really want to become in life? First area is spiritually. Your spiritual center, Jesus being your North Star, is critical. If you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, then I recommend you come to know Christ. By the way, let me stop and just tell you how you know Jesus. How, how do you go to heaven? After all these years, 50 years, I finally discovered the secret. 
And you're going to say, well, it's to know Jesus. And you know, you're exactly right. But there's a caveat that goes along with that. No one goes to heaven, no one, unless the heart is already there. You know, C.S. Lewis used to say in his writings, if you remember who C.S. Lewis is, a famous uh, English poet, genius, who became a Christian at middle age, wrote a lot of wonderful Christian books. He used to say it's amazing how people see life. They think they can live their lives as they want to, and then when they die, they go to heaven, and they stand before God, and they say, God, forgive me for everything I ever did. Our Catholic friends think this often. It's, you go to purgatory, and then you say, well, I'm going to work my way out and get to heaven. Or you stand before God and say, God, forgive me. I didn't realize what I was doing, even though we totally did. Nothing happens like that. What happens to us is that when we pass, and it's given to everyone once to die, and then judgment, the Scripture says, we stand before God, and if we didn't want Him in this life, we won't want Him in that one either. Lord, I didn't want you when I lived on the earth, and I don't want you now, because your heart wasn't there. How do you send your heart on? That's where Jesus comes in. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, for by faith, by grace rather, you're saved through faith. It's a gift of God. Nothing you can do can earn it. You can't boast about it. It's through faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work for you only. The moment you say yes to what Jesus has done for you, you understand it intellectually the best of your ability, and you believe it with your heart. It's like getting married. You get connected with the Spirit of God. At that moment, your heart's packaged in the ark. Jesus and sin on ahead. Your spiritual life begins there. Ladies and gentlemen, if your spiritual life's not growing in the home, your home is not a safe place to be. It's not a loving place to be. It's not where there's improvement and there's grace. The best thing you can do for your children is start with your relationship with Jesus. And by the way, is there a Bible or two laying around the house? Does your, do your children ever see you read the Bible or pray together or pray at all? Is there any spiritual symbols in your home whatsoever? So your children are constantly getting this, the insight that my, my parents care about this. This is important to them. Are there verses around the house? Uh, my sweet daughter, she has verses stuck all over the house, here and there on the refrigerator and my mirror and in the bathroom, verses that she's read that week. I'm guaranteeing you her children, her two daughters, Alice and um, Sylvie, will, will notice that as they get old enough to read. Really important stuff. Um, spiritually, men, you are the leader of the household. I've made a note here. Put an asterisk by it. Who's important? If Jesus comes into the room and he's going to counsel you two in your marriage, who does he send out and who does he keep in? He sends your wife out, as I said earlier, and keeps you in. It's the same thing's true in your home. You are the spiritual leader. Our wives often take that responsibility because we abdicate it to them. Some of us don't feel comfortable as men being the spiritual leader, even praying with our wives. I understand that. I do, I do understand that's uncomfortable. And yet, here's the woman that you've been intimate with all your life. And since you're married and you, you love them and you care for them, and yet you can't say, hey, honey, we, let's stop and pray about that. Sit, sit down right here with me right now. Let's, let's pray about that. Keep growing in your spiritual life. Keep growing. And also in your intellectual and your emotional and your professional life. Grow and stretch professionally. Uh, your brain needs to keep growing. What are you reading? Uh, how are you continuing to keep yourself 
in a sense, uh, growing in your, in your life. Don't, don't become sedentary and just stop. Now, why is that important to your children? Because here's what I really believe watching it all these years, that when a child has two parents who are tight together, but they also know what God's made them to be and they pursue those areas of their lives, when it's appropriate, it, it, it prompts them to do the same thing. How are you improving this world with your life? Where are you volunteering? Where does your time go once your children get old enough that you can? They see that, and they become citizens of the kingdom of God and of our community who really care, and they move forward with that. They want to make a difference as well. And may I say this? I hope this doesn't offend anyone in the room. Folks, your children do not need one more screen in their life. Not one more little screen, not one more iPhone, not one more iPad. They do not need those things. There are new books coming out now with stats on what it's doing to our children. More than anything else, creation is a theater. A theater, literally. God created that way, Psalm 119. And when we get out in it and we see it, it's far more amazing to us and meaningful to us than a screen. Will there be some screens in your children's lives? Yes. Our iPhones are everywhere. In fact, some of you are looking at notes right now on your iPhones. That's, there's no problem with that. But watch your children. My two-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter knows how to operate my iPhone intuitively. And so soon, it's going to be virtual sex. It's already happening, in case you're not aware of that. Other virtual things you're going to be looking at. You will do your children a favor if you'll limit the screen access they have in their lives. Trust me, you will. It's a part of our world, but don't give them more and more screens. Four, give them the model of parents who have a balanced, healthy attitude toward physical appearance and sexuality. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm really stepping into it on this. Um, notice what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14. He says, therefore... Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. And in the context and in our world, the world we live in, our physical appearance and sexuality have become idols, not God. They've become idols. Parents, did you know that the most, most influential individuals in the world to your children at every age, statistically true, are you. They see and feel and intuit everything you do. They pick up on what you say, how you dress, how you work out. I think you should keep yourself in the best possible physical condition. You should eat the best foods. Uh, it's actually a miracle. You want to know why I believe there's a God? It's a miracle that I don't have diabetes because all I like is sweet things, and pretty much that's all I eat. But it's not good. Taking care of ourselves is very important. But sometimes we obsess on it to the point that we start worshiping that. And then, Dad, you say to your daughters, don't you think you're getting a little fat? Don't you think your dress is not? And, and, and soon they begin, they start worshiping the same thing. You, you know why children act out? Why children respond to certain things? It's all about worship. At the center of every, uh, Paul Tripp says, it's all about worship inside them. What are they worshiping in this life? Well, they're worshiping what you worship. They're picking up on what is important to you. Those things become idols in their lives. To be sure, health is important, but inner beauty is the most important thing. Now, sexuality, 
obviously those things are intimate and private and shouldn't be discussed. But men, you know, and, and by the way, 28% of the women in the country now are watching pornography. Men, you know that beginning with third and fourth grade, our kids are watching that. Another reason for few screens, always monitor the screens in their lives. But that's not what I want to mention here in this area of sexuality. You need to know, parent, grandparent, that your children are being raised in a gender-confused world. And every one of your children and grandchildren will at some point be propositioned or influenced away from their sexuality. A person is as they are born. I've been very actively involved in the transgender bathroom issue in Fort Worth with the, the school, superintendent of schools, uh, Kent Scribner. And uh, by the way, uh, here in Parker County at least, uh, you have a wonderful superintendent of schools in Derrick City and you have a wonderful school board. If that ever changes, you need to run for school board and stop it. You need to stop it. The world today is so in love with, it's such an idol. Sexuality is such an idol. Beginning with the Supreme Court last June, last summer, when the Supreme Court handed down that edict that same-sex marriage is legitimate marriage, what it opened up was uh, a whole country to sexual promiscuity and irregularities and to this gender identity issue. It all flows from it just so naturally. Your children will be propositioned at some point. They will be influenced by someone who has a completely different worldview than you do, and they could be influenced a different direction. What do we do? First thing we do is know who your children are hanging around understand who teaches them, have an insight into what's, what their world is like. It's so important. I hear it just about every other week. Someone says, you know, my child in high school was propositioned by someone of the same sex. And they should have been prepared for that, to know how God made them. The second thing you do, and I've written this down here because I think it's so important, is model correct gender identity in the home. What does that mean? Be you. By the way, some young boys aren't athletes. They're creative types. Praise God for that. Some young women aren't totally feminine. They, they've got, they love the outdoors. They love to get out there and fish and care for things. In the home, you need to let your children be who they are, of course, but you be who you are, and most specifically, love on them. Hug on them. Men, hug your sons. Touch them. Care for them. Because, see, that's what they're really needing. Uh, men, love on your, your daughters. Moms, love on your sons. In the home, there needs to be the sense that I am comfortable with being a male, and I'm comfortable with being a female, and together we are a couple that God's put together. Please know your children need from you for their future a clear understanding of their sexual identity, and you need to live it out in the home. And third thing you need to do is pray for them. Pray God's protection on them. Pray that God cares for them in the sense of keeping them on a daily basis protected. Now, number five, quickly, give them the warmth of watching parents committing themselves to a local church body. Hebrews 10, 25 says this, do not forsake your assembling together, which is the custom of some of you. He's obviously being critical of church there uh, that he was writing to. Uh, after 36 years, let me tell you why I see so many families not do well. And you say, well, you're a preacher, so you want people to come to church, and you want them to give so you can have a salary. None of this changes my salary, and all of that is absolutely not true. I'm telling you this because it's the truth. 
I've seen more damaged relationships and marriages come apart because you slowly drift away from the biblical community. You were made in Christ. You were made even apart from Christ before you became a Christian to be a part of a community. And a community that believes what you believe, cares about your values, will help you take care of your children with spiritual things. You need to be a part of that community. I never will forget, there's a gentleman in our church years ago. He came to me, and they'd been in the church 10 years. They had children in our church, three of them actually. And he said to me, you were going to another church. I said, oh, gee, that bums me out big time. And it did. It shocked me. Why? Our kids just haven't connected. They just haven't connected with the church. And so they left, and they left the church. And my wife and I were talking, and we reflected on their relationship with the church. Over all these years, they'd been very irregular and never attending. When there was a middle school retreat, guess what? It was a little too far to drive their son to come to the middle school retreat. A little too inconvenient to do that. They didn't participate in any way. And so finally they came to me and said, you know, it's the church's fault. It was never the church's fault in that situation. It was their fault. And by the way, to this day, as far as I know, they're still doing that. Moving, 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 moving. Connected. See this not as just something you have to do on a Sunday, but something that enriches and fertilizes your life in every single area. It's the truth. It actually does. It makes that much difference in your life. We all have busy lives. Children have a lot of things to do. We have active weekends. And you, I'll be the first to tell you, you shouldn't be in church every time the church opens its doors. But I'll be the first to tell you, it should be high on your priority list no matter where you are and when you're there. On vacation, we go to church, if it's possible. Maybe it's too far away, and, it, and I, but it's, it's always on my list. I want my family to know the biblical community is important to me. It's important, important biblically. There's a loss of accountability if you're disconnected. Being purposeful and active keeps your focus on the community of Christ and keeps your children aware of what's going on. When your children see you making church a priority you know what they're going to do when they get to be middle schoolers and high schoolers and college and and they're going to do the very same thing by the way when it comes to giving at church have you ever given your children the money and say you put it in the plate you put it in the plate honey you do that very impacting to do that life-changing actually Uh, a couple common a couple things i want to say men when you pull away from the church and you start going to happy hour two or three days a week rather than the church, sitting with your buddies who've divorced their wives, and they're encouraging you to do the same, you're in the danger zone. And that's quicksand. Ladies, when you start pulling back from home group, from church activities, from just spiritual things, and you're hanging with the gals who've gone through divorces, and I I say this because I'm dealing with a couple of those right now in our church. On Tuesday afternoon, they're in a happy hour. They're not in church. On Sunday, they're in a happy hour. That marriage is doomed, and it's not going to survive. This needs to be high priority to you in a very balanced way. By the way, empty nesters, you get a lake house. Lake houses are wonderful. You get to go away on the weekend. You have children in Austin, children in Houston, children here, children there. You should go see your grandchildren. Absolutely. But often... We get slowly, slowly, like the frog in the pot, slowly the heat turns up. We get further away from the church, and then empty nesters now are one of the highest divorce rates groups in the country. Did you know that? Folks with empty nests who grandkids are, kids are gone, grandkids are out there. 
they get disconnected from the church. Let me encourage you not to do that. These are five gifts your children need, not some silly, lazy liquor ice cream cone. What could you do for each other? A couple of gift suggestions, couple to couple. First, a phoneless date night alone just to enjoy each other and don't talk about the children. Who should initiate that? Now, if Jesus came into the room and two of you, he was counseling two of you, and he said, which one of you would I, I mean, how many times do I have to tell you this story, guys? I mean, how many, who should initiate the date? I give up. <laughs> Hopefully somebody in Converge said, the men should do that. Oh, good, Converge guys are so much more spiritual. Number two, a private discussion of seasonal expectations, travel, relatives, gift budget, work schedule. Men, ladies, you could actually call this about, hey, let's sit down and talk about expectations. This is a gift to each other. Lynn and I did this actually last night for a few moments. And I told her I'm expecting to watch football every day throughout the whole holidays. And she said, well, I'm expecting to spend everything on your credit card that you've ever could possibly pay for. I said, well, wait a minute, let's, let's negotiate this. What are your expectations? Actually, most of us in the room probably have not had that conversation. I actually only had it because I knew I was going to be mentioning it to you this morning. Three, a promise to each other that the first sign of problems, you'll seek help. First sign of problems, you'll seek help. Remember the back door? Next Sunday at 11 o'clock and the following as well, we have a, a class in the North Silo right here. Dr. Greg Cook's going to come in from Fort Worth to teach it. He's a, an eminent doctor of counseling and all that. It's going to be called uh, Navigating the Potholes of, of the Holidays. So just to, to tune up your marriage, you're welcome to come and participate. And finally, pray together for your marriage and for your children. When was the last time you did that? You grabbed hands and you prayed together. And you know what? Who's supposed to lead that? If Jesus came, good. <laughs> I'm getting weary of this out here in Parker County. <sighs> yeah, men, say to your wife, and I know how uncomfortable, uncomfortable it might be. Let's, let's, talk. let's pray for the kids today. Let's stop and pray for them. Speaking of prayer, I'm going to invite a couple that I have admired for years. Craig Hollinsworth, who's an elder out here in Parker County, and his wife Tammy, who oversees your children, if you have children. I'm going to invite them to come out, and they're going to lead us in a time of prayer. Blessings of prayer. Come over here, you two. Please allow us to uh, guide you as we consider Dr. Kitchen's sermon and spend a few moments in fellowship with God, your heart to his. Let us pray. The Father sees us as his children in Christ and his love for us is eternal. Take a moment to worship him for his goodness to you. Now thank God for each of your children or grandchildren by first name, asking God for divine favor and watch care over them. If you are not married, then thank God for your parents and grandparents.
Now ask God to protect the marriages in our fellowship, to give each couple a deeper commitment to each other and to Christ. Ask God, help me love my spouse the way you want them loved. Take a moment to lift up our children with special needs. Ask God for strength for their sweet parents and for joy and spiritual growth for all of them. Our Father, as you have established this church as a light on a hill, we pray that your love, protection, grace, and mercy would envelop these families within our fellowship and radiate out from this place into our community to touch the lost and hurting and draw others to yourself. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.